Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Hope Church. So glad that you're here today. Any day, any Sunday where it's a beautiful Sunday Sunday in Santa Cruz and there's actually people here, it's a miracle of God. And so congratulations, you're part of the miracle of God today. And so, hey, we're stoked that you're here today. My name is Tim, if we haven't met. And uh, whether you're watching us online or out on the patio or right here in this room, we're so glad that you're here. And I want to give a special shout out to anybody who's here for the first time. Congratulations. I know what it's like to walk in the door of a church for the first time, right? You don't know anybody. You don't know the lay of the land, but you're, you're, you're doing it. And um, especially for those of you who maybe have never even been in a church and you decided to come or log on today, uh, we're glad you're here. That's a big deal. Can we just acknowledge that? Like, like that's a big deal when you do that. And so we're super stoked. And we know you really came for the pancakes. And that's cool. The pancakes are amazing. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, after we're done here today in the courtyard, we have free pancakes every Sunday. And so, well, how many of you have something in your house that you would consider to be like an heirloom thing? like something that you hope would be passed down or that you think might be passed down or like something that is like of such high quality or such high significance that you would pass it down. You remember the day there there was a day, I don't know if this is a thing anymore, but there was a day when like grandma's dishes, like China dishes would be passed down. And we have a set of those, you know, and they're like so brittle, you know, and like once a year we take them out and we're like, don't cut you know, with your knife too hard on the plate, you know, it's going to crack, you know. But there's grandma's plates, you know, so we have those things. And we pull them out once a year. We hand wash them with, like, fine imported linen from Egypt, you know. It's, it's like this thing. Um, I don't know. If you're like us, we, we don't have, like, like there, there aren't, there aren't, we just don't have stuff like that, right? I don't know. I, I, we, we don't have a lot of stuff like that. But we have one thing, one thing that is so special to us and is handcrafted and um, is, is probably one of the just most sentimental things that we have. And I, I want to show you a picture of it here, actually, on the, on the screen you're going to see. So this is our, uh, our house, and um, this is our farmhouse table. And it actually seats 10. We only have eight chairs around it right now, but it seats 10. And... This piece of furniture was built for us by a friend in Georgia. We lived in Georgia before we moved here, Atlanta. And um, we had a dear friend who is a craftsman, a wood craftsman. Like, he built his business on that. And um, he's just a dear friend. And we were moving into a house that we bought um, for, uh, that was built in the late 1800s. And we had this this very sort of unique space where we were putting a table. And we wanted a table that would fit the space, but we wanted to maximize the number of places around the table. And so we asked him to build it as large as he could for the space. 
And then we asked him to intentionally build the table a little bit, um, not quite as wide as a normal table. Because we want it to be not like right in someone's face, like, hey, on your, on your second mower there, you've got some food, you know, on your thing. But we wanted to be close. We wanted to be a little closer to folks, right? A little closer in conversation. And we wanted to be able to sit a lot of people around this table. And we wanted something that was handcrafted. And he built this out of reclaimed wood out of one of the barns that, that he took apart. And um, he did an amazing job on it. And... Uh, the best part about it for us was we, uh, we knew we wanted it, and we were just going to do whatever we, uh, we said, hey, um, how, much, how, you know, how, mu- how much would this cost? Like before he did it, we're like, how much would it cost? And, um, and he basically said, don't worry about it. We were like, what? Okay, then. All right, let's go. And so he, did, he, he gifted us this table uh, more or less. We, paid, we, we gave him some money for the lumber, but... Um, but it's so special to us because of who made it. But also it's special to us because of why we made it. We, we built this table specifically so that we could have people sitting around the table. And in our family, we only have five in our household. And we built it so that it could seat, so they could sit ten people. And we wanted people around our table. We wanted to have a lifestyle that was community-driven, where it was a normal thing to regularly have people around our table, right? And God gave us that. God gave us that. In fact, you can't tell from this picture because uh, when we moved here, we did something a little different with the chairs, but um, we had this table built. And who here knows that um, that story is all fine and well, but, um, but to buy t- So we, so we weren't sure what to do, and so we finally, we, uh, we, we stole an idea from a friend, and we had a chair party, and we invited 10 of our friends to each bring a chair that represented their family. They could go to Goodwill and get it. They could go to high-end wherever. I don't even know where you buy high-end dining room chairs, but you could do that, and you, you could go wherever, and we had people come, and they, we had them right on the bottom and um, their names and their family names and everything. And we had 10 different chairs around the table. And it represented the community that we were after. And what we wanted more than anything was we wanted a lifestyle where we were living out this truth of, of following Jesus, that there's always room at the table. When, when we follow after Jesus, we take on, we should take on some core sort of characteristics, some things that are, how many of you know that, that, that leadership and life values and anything of significance is taught, yes, but it's also caught, right? And so when we're, when we're following after Jesus, there are things that we should catch from being at his feet as we study his life in the Bible, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to open the Bible Actually, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. But we're going to walk through a story in the life of Jesus. And we're going to sort of sit at his feet today, and we're going to learn. He's going to teach us about making room at the table. And in the kingdom of God, in the life of following Jesus, there's always room at the table. And aren't you grateful for that? 
Like, like for each one of us, if you're here today, uh, if you're watching online, you're out on the patio, and you're just exploring this whole Jesus thing, here's what you need to know. This is important for you to know about Jesus. Jesus has set a table for you, actually for all of us. And his desire is that you would come to the table, that you would find your place, and that you would sit down at the table, and that you would take advantage of the feast that he has set in front of you. This, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. I don't know, maybe, maybe you've been a part of churches and religious things where you've been burned, you've been hurt, maybe you've been run over by a list of rules and regulations. Maybe you were like me. I showed up one time in a church in a pair of shorts, and the pastor chewed me out. I guess you don't wear shorts to church. I don't know, you know. And so, I, I, you know. And so, but maybe you've been in that experience. And listen, the life of Jesus, following after Jesus, is a table that he has set for us and a feast that he has prepared and he, and he longs for us to come and enjoy. In fact, when you sit down, have you ever been to, to uh, somebody's house where they actually have like people's names written in like calligraphy or whatever and there's like a name thing for you and you go, oh, and maybe it's a wedding or something like that or, or, or someone's house and you sit down and if it's ever an individual's house, like a friend's house, you're like, really? Come on. Like, that's cool, you went to all the effort, but I'm not doing this when you, when, when you come over to my house. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, but there's a place set for you. And when we come, when we embrace the love of Jesus, here's what we find. Before we ever walked up to the table, he wrote our names in calligraphy, and he had a beautiful setting right there prepared for us. And when we see the love of Jesus, and we say yes to the love of Jesus, all of a sudden this opens up to us, and we're able to sit down at the table with our names written right there and just start enjoying what he's prepared for us. It's an amazing thing. There's always room at the table. And so today we're going to walk through a story in the life of Jesus, and we're going to see him live this out in front of us. It's going to teach us some things along the way. And so this is going to be a little bit of a guided discovery today, journey as we walk through this story. And we're going to point out some things, and, and, um, and then we'll wrap it up. You guys up for it? Yeah? All right, here we go. Luke chapter 19. We're going to start right in verse 1. Here we go. Jesus entered Jericho, that's a city, and was passing through. Now, there's a lot that goes into this first sentence here. We're jumping into the middle of a story, and so let's, let's, let's catch up to where the story has been. So Jesus has lived for 30 years in the shadows. Normal, everyday, ordinary, mostly uneventful life, at least to, the, to, to everyone. Um, he was a carpenter. And um, about 30 years in, he set down his tools, his carpenter tools, and instead of building things, he gathered around him a core group of people and began to build people. And so he chose 12, and he began to pour into them. He began to build into their lives, build people. And uh, he's coming now to the end of his three years 
of what we call public ministry. He's been teaching. He's been feeding people miraculously. He's been healing people. By this point in his life and ministry, Jesus has raised people from the dead, multiple people, like as dramatic as it gets, right? So Jesus has been doing this. And along the way, what he's been doing is he's been teaching his followers, this is what it looks like to follow after me. Now, he's about ready to reach the end. In fact, in this chapter, Luke chapter 19, before this chapter is done, Jesus will have gone into the city of Jerusalem for the last time before he would die. He's on his way to death in this very chapter. So when we read in this first verse, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He was passing through to get to Jerusalem to die in order to be resurrected again. And so he goes through Jerusalem for a very specific reason and a very specific person. And we're going to meet him right here. Are you ready? Jesus now was making room at the table by being intentional. He didn't have to go through Jericho. He went through Jericho intentionally to meet a specific person. And we know this because later in the story, when we read about who he interacts with, this guy named Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, maybe we'll call him Zac for short, Jesus knew his name without ever being told who Zacchaeus was, which tells us that Jesus went through Jericho specifically for this interaction with Zacchaeus. Now, it wasn't just for Zacchaeus. Remember, Jesus was teaching his followers how it looked to follow after him, how to make more room at the table. This is what he was doing. All right, here we go. So a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. There he is. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, this is, this is all you needed to know about Zacchaeus, especially if you were a reader of these words in the first century when it was written. A tax collector was despised, was hated. A tax collector was normally was a Jewish person hired by the Roman government, the oppressors, to collect taxes. And so if that weren't bad enough that you were sort of collecting money from your own people to give to the nation who had attacked you and now, you know, oppressed you. But tax collectors made their money by charging more. So if you owed, you know, $100 in taxes, whatever they could get over $100 was theirs to pocket. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, which meant that he not only did all of these things to his own people, but he led the team that did all these things to all these people. So he not only got a cut from what he overcharged people in taxes, but he got a cut from every other tax collector that was within his region. So he was like a regional you know, VP, and he got a cut of all of that action. And so he was very, very wealthy. And the people knew this. They knew this about him, and they hated him for it. This is what we know about Zacchaeus. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, shout out to all the short people in the house. All right, all right. We 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 got some of you today, some of you short people. I say you because, you know, 
I don't know. I'm, I, I, think, I think I'm pretty short. I, Nicole, every time I get asked my height on some sort of like medical thing or something like that, I'm like, oh, 5'10", 5'11", I don't know. Nicole's like, Tim, come on, man. You're 5'9". Be proud of it. Be proud of it. But hey, all you short people, here we go. In the Bible, he wanted to see who Jesus was. And this is comical. If you've never heard the story of Zacchaeus, this is comical, y'all. Here, look at this. So he ran ahead. He couldn't see over the crowd because he was short, verse 3. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. How many of you grew up singing the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. If you, so, so if you went to church, if you were a kid in church, we sang this song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Um, there's a whole song about Zacchaeus, right? We sing about him. He was a short guy. Um, he gets up in the tree. He gets up in the tree. And here's the dramatic thing about this part of the story is that Wealthy people didn't climb trees. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't climb trees. You, you weren't like, that was beneath you. you. You weren't like, you had status, right? Like, you told people to climb a tree. You know, you didn't climb a tree. That was like what kids did. That's what children did. Or people, you know, on the margins or whatever. This is how badly Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And all he wanted to do was see Jesus. He didn't have any expectation that Jesus would acknowledge him or spend time with him or any of that. He just wanted to be able to see Jesus. And so he climbs up. And so imagine this picture here. Jesus is coming through town. Everybody's all excited. Everybody's, I mean, he's got followers. He's, I mean, this is it. When he leaves Jericho and goes to Jerusalem, they lay down branches on the road they lay down their coats on the road. They, they have him ride into the city like a conquering king. They celebrate him. They expect that he's going to free them from Roman oppression is why they're all excited. But he's at the peak right now. So the Jesus train comes into Jericho, and Zacchaeus is like, I got to see this. He doesn't care. He wants to see Jesus so badly that he puts even his pride and ego aside and says, I got to get up this tree so that I can see Jesus. This is the story. This is the scenario. It's a, it's a dramatic picture. All right, here's what happened. Now watch this. When Jesus reached the spot, this is the spot where Zacchaeus is, he looks up and he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately I must stay at your house today. We're not, so we're not told that Jesus is ever told the name of Zacchaeus. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He is focused. In fact, as Jesus is making room at the table, here's another thing that he does. He looks to the margins. Making room at the table is all about looking at the margins. This is the practice and the way of Jesus. This is why Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. Jesus was accused of being a drunk and a glutton. Why? Because he hang out 
he hung out with people who drank and who ate, right? Like Jesus hung out with the everyday man. This is why people loved him so much in that culture, because he was all about the everyday man. Jesus was not concerned, interested in any way with, with appealing to the wealthy, to, to the ones who had it all together, to the ones who were in the middle of society. Now, he interacted with those folks, and he, he offered them the kingdom just like he offered everybody else. But he didn't put them at the center of what he was doing. He, he reached out to the margins and looked to the margins. Now, for us, one of the things that I love about Hope Church is that you're going to find people here at Hope Church that are all across the spectrum in all walks of life that come and are part of this faith community. I think that's a reflection of the way of Jesus. You know, there's the truth of Jesus, which we talk about all the time, and then there's the way of Jesus. Here at Hope Church, we're committed to living out the ways of Jesus, which means that all are welcome. There's always a seat at the table. In fact, if you feel like you're on the margins in society and in life, you're going to find a home here. This is how it is for us. And we do that because Jesus taught us this. He did this with Zacchaeus. In fact, he not only looked on the margins, but Jesus created margin. Jesus could have done anything he wanted to do in Jericho at this moment. He had the chief tax collector climbing a tree just to get a look at him, right? He could do anything he wanted to do. He could meet with anyone he wanted to meet. He could stay anywhere he wanted to stay. He could do anything. But he stops where Zacchaeus is. He looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, yeah, I know your name. I need you to come down right now because I have to go to your house. I have to go there. You know, when Jesus is making room on the margins, when he's making room in his own life, when he is helping us see that there's always room at the table, we see that Jesus is super intentional about this stuff. This is not random. He didn't scan the crowd and see the dude up in the tree and go, hey, what's your name, man? Oh, yeah, cool, man. Zacchaeus, Zach, let's hang out today. What do you think? No, he walked up to the spot where Zacchaeus was. He intentionally looked at Zacchaeus, and he said, come on. Come on down from the tree, and let's go to your house. Now, this was scandalous in the days of Jesus. Scandalous. Because you didn't go hang out at the tax collector's house, let alone the chief tax collector's house. You know who hung out at the chief tax collector's house? All the other people who were on the margins, who were doing, you know, crazy things, and there was always a party at the chief tax collector's house. Jesus was like, I got to go there. I got to go see this. All right, here we go. You ready? So Zacchaeus, verse 6, came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. How many of you know that making room at the table opens you up to criticism? And unfortunately, criticism 
by the religious types. Jesus made room at the table by being criticized. He was willing to put his reputation on the line. He was willing to put his comfort on the line. He was willing to be talked down about from other people who had a little bit of a higher view, maybe, of what it looked like to follow God so that he could be with the outsider, with the marginalized, with the one who needed him the most. Jesus was willing to do this. Listen, if you've ever been in a place where you've been criticized because you've been following after Jesus and hanging out with certain people, you're in good company. Like you're following the way of the master. Now, what's it like for you? This is probably a good time to ask this type of question. What is it like in your life? Is there any place in your life where you are intentional about looking for the outsider? Is there anyone in your life who might be considered on the margins? Is there anyone in your life who knows that you have been intentional about making space for them? Jesus issued this really, really, really tough, challenge to his followers. He put it like this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Yikes. Now, here's the beauty of what I've just said. The enemy is all about condemnation, making you feel guilty, making you feel bad because you don't measure up. The Holy Spirit of God is all about conviction. Conviction is different than condemnation because of the outcome. The outcome of conviction is being more like Jesus. It's experiencing more of God. And so whenever the Holy Spirit illuminates in your life and heart something where you don't measure up quite to what the standard is, it's just simply an invitation to God's best. The Holy Spirit says, hey, I want more for you. I want you to experience the fullness of what I have for you, and so I'm going to show you an area of your life where you may need to take a hard look at it. Have you become so insular that you have no contact at all with people who might be on the margins? Now, I'm not just talking about who, you, who the type of person you might have in your head right now as you think about someone on the margins. You know, you could be the wealthiest person in the world and be on the margins. Zacchaeus was super, super, super wealthy, and he was on the margin. It's anyone who feels like they're on the outside looking in. And it could be a social setting. It could be work. It could be school. it It could be here at Hope Church, you know? Our family, when we first started coming to Hope, we didn't know anybody. We didn't know anything, and, and we were trying to meet people, and you know, some, you know, you may relate to that even here at Hope, and Hope has friendly people, and people came up to us or whatever, but there was probably a solid month or so where we sort of hung out along this wall in the courtyard. We sort of sat on the wall. We ate some pancakes. We tried to make conversation, but, you know, 
it, you know, we, we did what we could, and eventually we began to build relationships. And then, and then really sort of what threw gas on the fire was we, start, we joined a team here at Hope, and we started serving. And that's when the relationships came flooding in, and we found a family. You know, in your life, do you look at the margins? Do you look where Jesus would look? Or are you simply content to be consumed with your world, with your way, with your view? Zacchaeus did not hold the same beliefs, did not have the same practices as Jesus. But Jesus saw him differently. Do you know that, you know what the original, um, what the meaning of the name Zacchaeus is? No, you don't know that. I didn't know this before I saw this, like, you know, a week ago. Zacchaeus' name means pure. So Jesus, he's walking through the city, and he sees what is probably one of, if not the most despised man in the entire city, and he sees pure. He sees who Zacchaeus is. Dude, you're, you're not somebody that's so consumed with money and wealth that you've, you've be, betrayed your own people to get it. You're not that guy. You're not the guy that at some point made a choice to say, I'm going to betray my own people so that I can live a life of wealth. You're not that guy. Just like you're not the totality of your decisions over the course of your life. Thank God, just like I'm not either. I am who God says I am. Right? And if Jesus was walking through my city, he'd look at me. If he's walking through your city, he'd look at you. Why? Because there's always room at the table. And he's got a place set just for you. Okay, okay, listen. I got to go. I got to keep going. So watch what happens now. Watch what happens. All the people saw this. They criticized Jesus. And then watch what happens, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Number one, Jesus never asked him to do this. He never asked him. Jesus was just present. Jesus just extended himself. Jesus created margin. Jesus invited him to sit at the table, and this was his response. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Jesus saw him. Jesus helped him feel worthy. Jesus saw him for who he really was. He made room for him at the table, and his response was, I know the things I've done to cheat my own people. I'm going to make it right, Jesus. Instantly, he changed. You know, when Jesus is making room at the table, he does it by celebrating life change. Because here's Jesus' response to that. Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too 
is a son of Abraham. You know what he was doing in this moment? He was declaring publicly with his voice of influence, all of you who have disowned Zacchaeus because he turned on his own people and extorted you, salvation has now come to his life. He is a son of Abraham. He's one of you. Don't reject Zacchaeus anymore. He's a changed man. He's publicly helping Zacchaeus turn a page. It's dramatic what he did here in that moment. He too is a son of Abraham. Now watch this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. I've set a table, Jesus says, I want you to come and find your spot at the table, your nameplate, enjoy the feast I've set for you, and then I want you to go do what I've done. Jesus said, you're going to go and do things in an even greater way than what I've done. And his final words to his followers were, go and make disciples. What does that mean? Teach them. Teach them everything that I've taught you. Oh, and I'm going to go with you as you do it. So what are we teaching people? As a church, what are we teaching you? We're not teaching you how to you know, manage sin and sin less and live a better life. We're not teaching you how to live your best life now. That's not our goal. Our goal is to point you in the direction of Jesus and say, do that. So, if Jesus makes room at the table, then how are we making room at the table? Maybe, maybe you'll do it tangibly like, like we've done it in our house, and, and, and you invite people into your home and, and, and share a meal, break bread together. Open up a bottle of wine. Enjoy the feast right in front of you in a physical, tangible way. Maybe it's a kind word that you speak. Maybe it's you heading out of this room, and as you're enjoying your pancakes, you look and see who's sitting on the wall, and you go say hello to them. Now, nobody's going to go sit on the wall. You're like, oh, man, that's like where I normally sit, but I you know. Um, Maybe every Sunday as you come, you look for those who are, not, you know, it's hard to come to a church and try to meet people and get connected. What is the way that God is calling you to help make room at the table? This is our teaching of Jesus today. How will you respond? We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-831. 800 2060. Thanks again for tuning in.